I think I heard last night some of you thought, let me clear the record here, that I was preaching against cream puffs. <laughs> no, that was a figure of speech. I said we need to get rid of this cream puff living and get down to business. <laughs> Don't go away and say I preach against pastry and all those good things. That's another subject we won't get into, but this is a, a very good film on depression, and I feel like um, I, I would like to meet some of those people and even lead them a little farther into the Word. I think we could help them some, even though they have um, wonderful light and God's been good to them and I, I respect them and I admire them. We today have a little more insight, which we ought to be thankful, not haughty, but humbled, that God has shown us his true light. And um, I thought about some of the things they talked about, anger. That, that, that's terrific, because did you know prolonged anger can cause all kinds of diseases? The book, None of These Diseases, how many of you have read that? It talks about how cancer, strokes, arthritis, many things are from our, our inward resentment, hate and envy. Not always, but they, the uh, mental is connected with the physical. Some ladies have asked about the book Sister Haney mentioned in her message last night and the authors. Okay, I will bring that to you this afternoon, all right? I didn't bring them this morning, so... And then forgiveness. I, I know you've probably thought of this, but I just felt to mention it. All of the laws of Jesus Christ are totally opposite to our way of thinking. He says forgive and we say get even. He says love them that hurt you and we, we want to hate. And every single thing that he tells us to do, it's against our grain. Like we talked about last night, it's carnality versus spiritual. And so if we can ever get into his realm of thinking and be nailed or take up our cross and get rid of our own, die to our own thinking and be so saturated with his concepts and his thinking, we're going to rise above some of these problems that have us struck down right now. Um... And then another thing they mentioned before we get into my lesson, I just wanted to bring these things that come to my mind. Uh, one of the men said he was a workaholic and that he learned to place limits. This is why I believe so much in scheduling your time. Uh, God gave all of us in this room today 24 hours a day, and I think it's 168 hours a week. And some of us accomplish more and some of us accomplish less and some people live in the I wish realm while the others live in the I'm doing it and some are in the arena and some are in the grandstands. But most of it boils down to good old time management. And when you look at a week and you think, well, I got this to do and that to do and that to do. Did you know most of us waste beautiful golden time which is a gift of God 
and that if we are a workaholic or we are overboard in another area, we can take care of that if we will uh, schedule our time. And I believe strongly in that, scheduling how many hours you sleep, scheduling in the times you eat, scheduling all the things that you want to do. You can do anything you want to do because God gave you the time to do it and you just have to know where you're going and you have to be a good time manager. Well, today the Lord has impressed me and it goes right along with this film. It's amazing how the Spirit works. But um, I was praying about this retreat and I've used this lesson and Donna X that if she's here today. You may have got this one. I don't know. It may be a new one since you were in Bible school. But this lesson I felt impressed about a week, to, week ago to bring this. I've never brought it to a retreat. And now I know why, I guess, because it goes along with this and we're just sort of flowing with this. And it's called, If You're Handed a Lemon, Make Lemonade. <laughs> and we're going to talk about some lemon situations in our life, which you've all had. And we're going to see what the Word says. And we're going to bring to you some people that have struggled in life but yet overcame and just turned around their struggle and let it become a blessing. Now, all of us, when something happens, our first reaction is, why did this happen to me? We always look inward at ourselves. But you know, we need to learn to turn a bad situation into a good one. We just need to learn that. And we're not alone in our struggle. We're not alone when things happen because everybody in the whole wide world has had something bad happen to them. I guarantee that today. If we could have a personal testimony by each of these ladies, you would all have a story to tell. And if you haven't had it yet, just get ready. <laughs> Before your life is over, you will have something that was heart-rending or heartbreaking that really broke you down. But if you can realize this, that through many heartbreaking struggles is when a lot of people succeed. And I can show you that by example. It's, it's the people that live on the froth that never get anywhere. Because the people that have been broken are the people that God uses. God only uses, and I could take you from the beginning of Genesis to the end of the Bible and show you that God only uses broken things. And that's exemplified over and over again. The broken body of Jesus brought salvation. God used the broken pictures of Gideon to win a battle with 300 men. It, it's, it's just the way it is, he said, except, and I think the tongues and interpretation said it last night, except a corn of wheat fall into the ground and die. It's, there's that brokenness, that dying out to self. And so when something happens to you that knocks you to the ground and you think, oh, this is a lemon situation, this is bad, start looking for the jewel in it and find out what God's purpose is in it. Um, I'm thinking of several people. Did you know if John Bunyan probably would never have gone to prison. We would never have had Pilgrim's Progress. He wrote that in his lemon situation. He wrote Pilgrim's Progress in the dirty prison that he was imprisoned in. So 
in a bad situation, he brought to us something that is beautiful and that can help us, we would have never had if he hadn't struggled. And we think of Helen Keller. She was born deaf, dumb, and blind. Now that's three. If, if you were deaf, you could you know, make it pretty well, which would be a handicap. But if you were blind, that would be an awful thing. But if you were all three, can you think of her prison? The pain she went through? But she struggled. They said she was like a little animal when she was a small child because she was so frustrated. She had a brilliant mind, but she didn't know how to let it out till finally she had someone that helped her, someone that took an interest in her and started teaching her. And she gave to us many beautiful poems. They said she even became a public speaker. I don't know how she did that. But she became well known to show us today that through adversity, you can give something to the world. You can make something good out of it, no matter how bad it is. And we saw in the film Johnny Erickson how in her teen years she became paralyzed and she could have done like a lot of other paralyzed people, sit in the corner and had self-pity. But she turned her adversity into a blessing. And I just heard her last month in person at the NRB conference. And she sat there and talked about obedience and how she was such a rebellious teenager. And she didn't want to give in to God, but when God got her on her back, then he could talk to her. She said, don't become like me. She said, obey God before he has to break your neck. We don't want that to happen to us, but much of this film is talking about obedience. But through her terrible dilemma, now she does all these beautiful things. She's made a record, she draws, she goes around speaking. Someday I'm going to meet her, I would love to. And then Charles Dickens. He, if you've been in literature classes in high school, you know that he was a great uh, novelist. But they said the greatest thing he ever wrote was uh, right after he had a tragedy of a love affair. He was a broken man. But his greatest work came out of that brokenness. And Beethoven, one of our great musicians, he became deaf, progressively worse and worse. But in spite of it all, he gave to the world something that all musicians use today. He didn't let his handicap stop him. And then our great president, Abe Lincoln, if you've ever read the poem about him, he failed at everything he did up until the age of 40-some. He was a failure in life over and over and over and over, but he never gave up. And finally, he reached the highest office in the land, Abraham Lincoln. So we need to do like these people did. And remember, before you arrive, you will go through much. Before you arrive, you will go through much. A lot of the um, young people at the college, they, they all want to be used of God. They all want to become, you know, in that place they see other people come by speaking and doing things. And I tell them, I say, you don't get there easy. I said, if you want there, you've got to pay the price. You've got to die to self. You have to do according to the steps of Jesus. Turn the bad things in life into good. Don't sit in your corner and pout. But when he works with you, be 
clay in his hand. And, you know, it's, it's really amazing talking about um, happiness and finding your niche in life and all. I heard a story one time about this woman and man, and they were dressed very expensively, and they were on this train, and so someone near them struck up a conversation with them, and he said um, to him, he said, what line of business are you in? And the man looked very disgruntled as he answered, and his, he had noticed that his, the wife of this man was a very disagreeable lady. And so the man said, well, I'm a lawyer. And then he went on to say, he said, and my wife is in the manufacturing business. And the guy said, well, what does she manufacture? And her husband said, she manufactures her own unhappiness. I hope our husbands don't say that about us today. But see, a lot of it is within you. It's in your own mind, your own habits, the, own, the way you think. Abraham Lincoln said, you're about as happy as you make up your mind to be. Another saying is, happiness is a habit. Think happy long enough and you'll become happy. But you know, even in your sorrow, happiness is fleeting. But joy is constant. Because true joy, according to Matthew Henry, is a constant delight in the Lord. When you're flat on your back, when you've had death, when you've had all of these horrible things happen to you, you can still have deep abiding joy because your constant delight is in Him and He never changes. He said, Lo, I am with you always. A man got on a uh, bus one time and he was whistling very happy and a gloomy, sarcastic man. He said, you certainly seem to be happy this morning. Why all the cheer? And the little old man that was whistling, he said, yes, as a matter of fact, I am happy. And I do feel cheerful because I make it a habit to be happy. And I think we need to practice that. When you get up in the morning, instead of saying, oh, it's rainy outside or it's snowy or this is going to be a bad day and I feel arthritis in this knee and the bills aren't paid and you think of all the bad stuff you need to be like David let's read in our Bibles what David said Psalms 118 and 24 let's all read it together 118 and 24 This is the day which the Lord hath made. We will rejoice and be glad in it. And many times through the years, I went into my children, waking them up, pulling the covers off, saying, Come on, get up. This is the day which the Lord hath made. Rejoice and be glad in it. Oh, Mom, get out of here. Let me sleep a little bit longer, you know. They're not ready to be rejoicing yet. But we really need to practice this. You know, as Christians... We hear these things at conferences and, and all, but then putting them into daily practice. That's why we've got to get our head in the Word and be saturated with the concept of the Word. Then we can be overcomers. We can make it no matter what happens to us. There were some people in the Bible that made lemonade out of lemon situations. I'm thinking about a lady. All around, the ladies had red puffy eyes. 
And they were in great dilemma and they were crying and no longer did they walk along the street with happiness, but they shuffled their feet. And everywhere you looked, you saw gloom and, and the grandfathers and the grandpas, uh, grandmas. Uh, no one was happy anymore. They were all sort of hiding behind buildings and they would greet one another with a downcast look in their eye and, and the joy was gone. But there was one lady and she said, I am going to be different. When my baby is born, he's not going to die. Now, it could have been any of those mothers. And she could, if, if God did talk to her, which I feel like he probably did, she could have not obeyed him because it was a great risk what she did. But I'm telling you, Jochebed, she turned that lemon horrible situation and she took that little boy and she started scheming. And she got that little ark and she pitched it within and without and she laid a little down cover in it, put that baby in there and took a risk, a risk of death, and put it out there in the bulrushes. Now that was that was a lemon situation. And we read about it and we just kind of you know, ho-hum about it. But what if every one of your babies were going to die if they were going to be born? Put yourself in their, their situation. And if the king decreed it, how many of you would have the guts to turn around and oppose him? Well, Jochebed had the guts. And because of that, the Bible said that Moses became a friend to God face to face, one of the greatest men that ever lived. That's beautiful, all because of one woman that turned the situation around. Think about David. Here he was when he walked out in that old smelly girdle, probably, being with those sheep. And God said, that's the one. And the old prophet Samuel poured the oil over this little shepherd boy. And do you realize that the boy that God anointed for many, many years, knowing that he had a dream, knowing that he had a call, lived in dirty, damp caves, ran for his life, didn't have a home, didn't have anything, but he had a dream. And he kept on, even while they were chasing for his life, he turned his bad situation and finally he became a king. After many years, he could have given up. He could have done a lot of things. But there was something within his heart. He was running for his life, but he had an appointment with destiny. And I feel like you and I have an appointment with destiny, and we can't let these petty things get us down. We can't let things in life that would sour us and turn us inward and, and not obey the call of God. I believe that we need to keep that dream, that appointment with destiny in our mind as we struggle through life. And over and over again, I bring you Ruth. She lost her husband, but yet she had more in the end than she had in the beginning. She was without anything at all, stripped of everything. And she decided to get out and do something about it. God put it in her heart. And she had the courage to do it. One that some of you could relate to today would be Abigail. Now, I don't know if any of you have a bear of a husband. 
But Abigail, the Bible said, he was a very churlish man. He was a wicked man. And when David came and sent his servants to Abigail's house and asked for food for his men, oh, Ab, uh, Nabal said, Who's David? And this made David mad. And David said, I'll show him who's David. And so here comes Nabal and his men. And here comes... No, Nabal and his men weren't coming, but Abigail was coming with her mercy party. And David was coming with vengeance. Now, if it hadn't been for Abigail, there would have been slaughter, blood would have run freely, and David would have never been king. But Abigail saved the throne for David. She saved many lives. And then God took care of the situation and took Nabal out of the picture. So do your part, ladies. Don't let evil overcome you. Don't let bad things hurt you. But turn these lemon lemon situations into lemonade. Did you know that her attributes actually took her to the highest office in the land? She became queen. There's a lot of things in life. I heard a story one time about this girl, and you may have heard it, but I want to share it with you. And um, she went to live among the Navajo Indians, and she hated it. She wrote back to her father, and she said, Oh, while my husband's stationed here, she said, I'm coming home to live with you. She said, I can't stand it. It's dusty. It's dirty. It's just no place for a woman. It's, it's just awful. And her dad didn't write one letter except two little lines. And he wrote back, and he said, Dear daughter, two men behind prison bars, one looked out and saw the mud. The other looked out and saw the stars. She said, boy, that preaches. She said, I'm looking at the mud. I'm looking at the lemon part of this, the bad. So she said, I'm going to change my attitude. See, it's in her. It's in her. It's all within. And you know what she did? She started learning how to make those quilts they make. She learned how to make Navajo pottery. She learned how to cook Indian bread and Indian stews. She learned their language. She learned how to do all these things that before she disdained. And now, when it gets time for her husband to leave, she couldn't hardly part with these people. I would say that was turning a lemon situation into, bad, into something good and making it lemonade. That's what we need to do. I don't care what life hands you. How bad it is, you need to learn to turn it around and get the good out of it, pick out the jewel, and not accept it and not become bitter, not become sour. Circumstances say, give up. But faith says, I can see the end result. Don't let circumstances dictate. But let faith reign in your heart. Say, I can do it through Christ. Faith power works wonders and faith supplies staying power. You want staying power? Get a little faith. You know, most of us in here today, if you're normal, are born with a negative spirit at times. Some people are more buoyant than others, but 
you just notice people. I heard one time uh, one of the preachers were preaching, and he said, you go to a gas station, and he said, you ask for directions. He said, invariably, the man will say, you go down here to the next red light. Now, see, that's negative. Why didn't he say, you go down here to the next green light? It's just inborn. People are just naturally negative. And, and all through the teachings of Christ, he's trying to turn us around and make us positive. But um, how many of you are guilty of saying some of these things? Um, I'm afraid I'll be late. See, we're voicing fear. Or I wonder if I'll have a flat tire. I don't think I can do that. I'm scared. Let somebody else do it. I'll never get through this job. There's so much to do. You know what we need to do? We need to eliminate these negatives from our, our speaking and, and put our faith in Philippians 4.13 and our faith in God and say, I can do all things through Christ. And if something turns out badly, how many of you say, that's just what I expected? I knew that was going to happen. It's the little things that grow and make steel. Our mighty oaks from little acorns grow. And if these little negatives clutter your conversation, they are bound to seep into your mind. You need to get them out. There are six major positive emotions and seven major negative emotions. I want to give them to you today. Most people are controlled by some of these. The first positive major emotion is the emotion of desire. Second is the emotion of faith. The third is the emotion of love. Fourth is the emotion of enthusiasm. The fifth is the emotion of romance. And when you're in love, that colors your world. The grass looks greener, the sky, everything changes. And the sixth is the emotion of hope. They say if a man ever lose hope, he dies. In those prison concentration camps, if they can just hang on to hope, they can make it through the worst circumstances. But if they lose hope, they, they just give in and die. And then your seven major negative emotions that most people are bound with is the emotion of fear, the emotion of jealousy, the emotion of hatred, the emotion of revenge, the emotion of greed, the emotion of superstition, and the emotion that they talked about today of anger. You know, life is too short to be little. The Bible says, Whereas ye know not what shall be on the morrow, for what is your life? It is even a vapor that appeareth for a little time and then vanisheth away. I would like to ask you two questions today. What are you going to leave behind you when you leave this earth? And what are you leaving behind you now when you leave the presence of someone? Are you ruled by higher purposes than to just hurt people, belittle, gossip, or tear down? I, I want to um, share with you some things that I've read recently 
I've read them several times, but just recently. And um, it's how to cure melancholy in 14 days. <laughs> All of you have been there before. You feel like you'll never get out of this tunnel. But there are several stories here that I wanted to share with you and show you that it really works and that it's, it's bound up on one scripture. And when I get through sharing some of this, I want to give you that scripture. If you could ever get that scripture in your brain and your heart and your mind and be motivated by it, be ruled by it, I promise you, you would be a totally different person if you have any problem at all with these areas. Because it's the word of God that it, it, it works. His, work, his word works. But this um, man, he, it was Dr. Frank Loop of Seattle, Washington, and he was an invalid for 23 years, and he had arthritis. And a person from the Seattle Star interviewed him, and he said this about him. He said, I've never known a man more unselfish or a man who got more out of life. How did this bedridden man get more out of life? And this is what it went on to say. He was ruled by a motto that the Prince of Wales was ruled by, and it's Ichdian, meaning I serve. And what he did, he accumulated the names and addresses of other invalids, and what he, he sent off letters to them. I think he sent off 1,400 letters per year, which is approximately three or four letters per day. And he sent them happy, encouraging letters. He organized a letter-writing club for the invalids and formed a national organization that is in effect today. He didn't just lay there and feel sorry for himself, but he got out of his own misery and focused in on the needs of other people. And so Dr. Loop had the inner glow of a man with a purpose. Do you have a purpose today? Do you have a mission or are you existing? He had the joy of knowing that he was being used by an idea far nobler and more significant than himself instead of being a self-centered little clod of ailments and grievances complaining that the world would not devote itself to making him happy. Now he's turned around trying to make others happy. And then I bring you, you've all heard of John D. Rockefeller. And when I read the story of his life, and I've shared it with other people, it, it really preaches. Told about how he became one of the richest millionaires at his time. And he was full of worry and full of, uh, he was a miser. He, he penny-pinched. He had all these millions, but he couldn't stand to lose even $150. And he would get there by being uh, very just downright mean to people, stepping on other people. And he, he became so hated by all of his um, the people that were in business with him that one time they burned him in effigy and they just wanted to stick darts in him. They, they wanted him, they wanted to get rid of him. And he was the most miserable man. And so here he is, the man with all the millions, and one of the writers that wrote a uh, biography about him said they had never seen a man that looked so old, so young. He got to the point where he couldn't eat one single thing except crackers and milk. His money didn't bring him happiness. And 
the way he got his money ruthlessly brought him hate, brought him envy, brought all sorts of bad things to him till finally, tire or die. He said, your money is literally making you sick. And there were three doctors that undertook to save his life. And you want to hear what they told him that would save his life? You, you might want to write these down. Number one, avoid worry. Never worry about anything under any kind of circumstances. Do you hear something from the Word of God? What's that scripture in First Peter 5 and 7? Cast all your care upon Him. I remember recently when I went to prayer and I felt like the whole world was on my shoulders and I had so many burdens and cares and I thought, I even told God, I said, God, I don't know what to do about all these things. And it seemed like I just had kind of a picture come before my mind and as I had my eyes closed and I was sobbing before the Lord, I saw myself walking up this road and I had a huge heavy sack on my back and I got before the throne and there was uh, God and he was looking at me with such uh, mercy and love that I just fell on my face, melted before him. And I took the sack off of my back and as he looked at me with such understanding, I just took each thing one by one and I took it out of the sack and I handed it to him and I told him what it was. And as I handed him each care and each burden, it seemed like he took that and he put it in a um, slot. And then he would take the next one and he would organize it and he would put it in this slot. And then he had a bunch of slots there and he was just taking it. And he was taking it from me and then he was going to put it in there. And then he said, don't worry, everything's taken care of. I just started bawling and crying. I thought, now that's what God wants us to do. Give it to him, and then he'll put it in the different areas, and then he'll send the angels, or he'll speak the word, whatever, and he'll take care of those things. And some of you may be carrying a big sack today on your shoulder, and you may have some disappointments. You may have melancholy. You may have burdens, but let's give it to Jesus. What's that little song? Turn it over to Jesus, and you can smile the rest of the day. That's the joy that I'm talking about. Number two that the doctors told him was, relax and take plenty of mild exercise in the open air. And number three, watch your diet. Always stop eating while you're still a little hungry. <laughs> Some of us need to do that today then we would be obeying that scripture that talks about surfeiting. So what happens? Does he abide by this? Does his life change? John D. Rockefeller obeyed those rules and they probably saved his life, but he did something else too. He started focusing in on the needs of other people. And you know what he did? He looked for ways to give his money away. 
He started giving, giving, giving. He began to think of other people. He stopped thinking for once of how much money he could get and began to wonder how much money he could bring to other people that would bring him happiness. And he formed uh, different charities. And now, in his later years, he was supposed to die. And on these three concepts and on the concept of doing for others, he lived 45 years on borrowed time, lived to be in his 90s. It works. Why does it work? Let's turn to Matthew 10 and 39. This is the scripture that if you'll base your life on, you'll realize your dreams. God will help you in every situation. It's just, it's a powerful scripture. Proverbs 10:39 says, He that findeth his life shall lose it. If you're seeking to find your life, you're really you're going to lose it. You're going to be bothered with things, and you're going to go down. You're going to drown. Matthew 10:39. He that findeth his life shall lose it, and he that loseth his life for my sake shall find it. Now, those are the powerful words that I'm talking about. You got to lose your life completely. For my sake. What is my sake? That's doing anything that will further the cause of Jesus Christ on earth. It's not just standing up singing a song, but it's your everyday living. My sake. Another scripture says, Inasmuch as ye have done it unto the least of these, my brethren, ye have done it unto me. He said, I'm going to cast you out in outer darkness because you didn't feed me. You didn't visit me. You weren't good to me. You didn't come to prison. They said, Lord... We would have done that willingly, but we didn't know you were in prison. We didn't know you were sick. And that's when he went and said, when you do it unto other people, and it goes right along with the scripture, when you lose your own ambition and put it on the altar and say, God, this is what I want to do, but I want your will in my life. If, if this is what you want me to do, I'm going to go for it. But I want all my motives my ambitions, everything I do to glorify Christ. His sake has got to rule in our life. And we've got to get to the place where we just lose sight of ourself and let his cause reign in our own life. That, that's what's powerful. But over and over again, I could bring to you um, many... You might want to get this book. It's How to Stop Worrying and Start Living by Dale Carnegie, and it's powerful. And it tells you in there how to cure melancholy in 14 days. And he says you, you need to think of other people. Get your attention off yourself. And this is another thing they uh, say in this one chapter here. It's powerful. He said, when you get up in the morning, you need to think about, say in your mind, what person can I help today? Now, how many of you do that already? Nobody? One or two, three. But when you wake in the morning, don't think about petting the flesh. But think about, what can I do to help somebody today? Let that be your waking thought. And they said if you'll do that for 14 days, and I know it works, that you will be cured of your own melancholy, your own depression, I read this story about Mrs. Yates. She's a novelist. She wrote many mystery stories. 
and she was bedfast. And she said one of the greatest tragedies in American history really was a blessing to her. It was when they uh, bombed Pearl Harbor. She, she couldn't hardly walk, and she had this nurse they paid, and she would struggle from the bed to the bathroom or whatever, and she he- leaned heavily upon this nurse. And she was just almost like a vegetable. She laid in that bed day and night just nursing her own little, you know, physical illnesses that she had brought on. A lot of it was through her own thinking. And so it said when they bombed Pearl Harbor that they called Mrs. Yates and they asked her to be a telephone transfer of news to, like, the wives of these husbands. And she said, when I first started doing it, she said, I would lay in bed and I would call. She said, and I got so involved in thinking about all these different wives and the different problems that pretty soon I didn't even realize that I was sitting up in bed and I was telephoning. And she said, then I just got up and I started walking around She said, I learned the secret was losing myself in a greater cause than myself. She said, I literally got out of that bed by not thinking about my physical ailments. She said, I got so lost. And these were exact words. She said, at first I answered these phone calls while lying in bed. Then I answered them sitting up in bed. Finally, I got so busy and so excited that I forgot all about my weakness and got out of bed and sat by a table. By helping others who were much worse off than I was, I forgot about myself. And I have never gone back to bed again except for my regular eight hours sleep at night. Is that powerful? A third of the people who rushed to psychiatrists for help could probably cure themselves if they would only do as Margaret Yates did, this woman. Get interested in helping others. Carl Jung said, about one-third of my patients are suffering from no clinically definable neurosis, but from the senselessness and emptiness of their lives. To put it another way, they are trying to thumb a ride through life and the parade passes them by. So they rush to a psychiatrist with their petty, senseless useless lives Having missed the boat, they stand on the wharf, blaming everyone except themselves and demanding that the world cater to their self-centered desires. Self-centeredness is one of the worst things that you can have inside of you. It'll bring you all kinds of misery and unhappiness and sickness and physical ailments. And You know what you'll do? You'll make everybody around you unhappy, like the wife that the husband said she manufactures her own unhappiness. But if you'll get into your noggin, this concept, when you wake up and you might feel a little depressed, forget about your depression and say, who can I help today? And be like Miss Yates. Get so excited about it, so involved in it. I met a little lady here at this a retreat that has done this and she is when I was preparing this lesson or going over it this morning I thought of her she has exemplified it she shared with me last night she said I believe her husband died and
and they owned this room where it was like a boarding house type thing, if I'm correct in my facts. And she worked as a telephone operator, and she would rush home and change all these sheets. And just, she said, my life was so busy. She said, people would say, how do you do it? She said, I just told them that it was the strength of Jesus Christ. And I got thinking about that. It wasn't just the strength of Jesus Christ only, but it was the strength that she lost herself in a greater cause than herself. If she's here today, would you please stand? What's her name? Sister Roe. Are you here, Sister Roe? Come up here, Sister Roe. I mean, this little woman, she's buoyant. She's got enthusiasm. You know how old she is? Seventy-six. She makes a lot of us younger women. (gasps) Now, look at her smile. Is she this way all the time? Is she? (laughs) Now, you've done this, haven't you? Yes, I have. And, And does it work? It surely does. And the Lord's been good to you for doing it, huh? He sure has been. And would you give uh, them the same advice to lose themselves in a greater cause? I surely would. What's it done for you? It's made me love people. And I love the Lord, and I think you have a real love of God in your heart. That gives you real love of people, and you love to help people and things. That's beautiful. Give her a hand. Just smiling, little feisty lady. (laughs) She learned this secret a long time ago. You know, she was a widow. She could have gotten her corner and had self-pity and wrapped her little robes around her and become bitter. She could have struck out at people, struck out at people. She could have caused people, when they come near her, to strike out and hurt them and, and to make their world unhappy. But she chose to get out of herself and lose herself in a greater cause. That's, that's what I'm bringing to you today. You are the captain of your destiny. And you choose what you do with your life. And all of us have a choice. I want to just give you two more little points that will help you in life that I have found. And it's just, I guess, down-home advice. But one of them, the scripture is found in, um, I believe it's Proverbs, somewhere Proverbs 17:22. Have you ever been riding in your car and you just threw back your head and started laughing? <laughs> it put a good feeling all over you, didn't it? It chases away the gloom. And if more people would learn to smile and to find their happiness in Christ, and to reach up and do like Abraham Lincoln said, you're about as happy as you make up your mind to be, there'd be a lot less problems among us. We would overcome these lemonade situations that we've been talking about. You would climb out of your depression or melancholy, 
and you would spread happiness. Did you know it's a lot easier to be a knocker than a builder? Now, a person that is filled with these kind of things, they're, they're actually a knocker that has let bitterness, resentment, hate, rule in their life, envious. And I've watched knockers downtown, and they can have a building knocked down in just a few days, that big old iron ball. But, but it takes quite a few months, sometime a year, maybe two years, to build it back up. So let's not be knockers today when it comes to people. But let's be like some of these little old women that have proven. Let's be edifiers, building people up, helping people, um, spreading words of cheer. I make my words soft and sweet, for I never know when I'll have to eat them. We need to remember that. And not always saying this and that and tearing other people down. Usually the people that are tearing other people down are the people that are insecure in themselves. And they want to bring someone down so they can bring themselves up. So let's just get on our own minds today, no matter what happens to us, that we will do as Jesus said and to lose our life for his sake. And his sake includes all of us. And as much as you have done it under the least of these my brethren, you have done it unto me. So if we'll do these things today, we will change from being just a normal humbrum molly grub person into a vibrant Holy Ghost filled like the little lady we brought up here today. You have the choice. What are you choosing today? Do you choose life or do you choose the molly grub? It's your choice.